Let's pray. Father, thank you for the price you paid. Thank you for the cost you bore. Thank you that you relinquished our death, or you completed, you paid off our debt through the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity that we have now, knowing of your love for us, that we can love you, and we come to express our love and adoration to you and worship. We, we have done that as we have sung. We've done that as we give. We certainly do it now as we give our attention to your word. I pray, Father, that you will move and work among us here today, that your Holy Spirit will be active and not only reside, but preside in this place, that all is said and done will give you glory. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, here we are. It's January the 8th. Christmas is over. It was great, wasn't it? New Year's is over. It was great, wasn't it? How's school? Good-ish. I like that. Good-ish. Good-ish. Uh, how's work? Back at the grind? All right. Now it's day by day, week by week, routine, get up, go, do, serve. Isn't that exciting? The, the challenge is too many times it's not. And, of course, I don't know if you made any New Year's resolutions. I, I always do. I always make some commitments that I intend to pursue in the course of the new year. I, I, maybe I should ask, how's the diet going? How, how's the exercise going? How, how are those things that we typically decide that we're going to improve in areas of our life? I will tell you that we're on day eight of our daily Bible reading. And we do this as a congregation every year. We have a Bible reading plan. And so we are in Genesis. You should be reading chapters 19 through verse 21. There'll be a test. I'm going to ask you who Abimelech is as we get further into this. But how's that going? I encourage you to be faithful with that, to immerse, immerse your mind with the Word of God. But I also want to almost beg, exhort, or cheer you on with something. The title of this series is Let's Do This. Let's be resolved. Let's be steadfast. But what are we to be steadfast in? What are we to be resolved in? We're to be resolved in what God has called us to do in his word. Last week, we introduced this. Embracing our role as steadfast servants of God. We looked at who we serve and why we serve. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we have the, the last week's message. The point is Paul re, re, is exhorting the Christians in Rome, and by the way, the Holy Spirit is exhorting us as we go through this passage. And he says, I appeal to you, I beg you, I beseech you, I urge you, I entreat you. Come on, guys. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, because of what God has done in showing mercy upon us, to present your bodies encompassing your whole life as a living sacrifice, living and active, yes, but no longer your own. You've sacrificed it. You've given it up. Holy, set apart, and acceptable, pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship or which is your reasonable service. Because of who we were, we were at one time either rebelliously lost, pagan going our own way of reprobate minds. We might have been religiously lost where we went to church or we had some pretty good morals and we were culturally moral but equally guilty of sin. But we were all without excuse earning the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. 
but because of what God did in sending Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin, to be our propitiation is the New Testament word. Because he demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because he brought us peace with God. Because not only did he save us by his death, he continues to save us and keep us secure by his life that lives within us. By freeing us from our slavery to sin. By loving us with a love from which nothing can separate us. Because of these mercies, he calls us to do something. When we respond in repentance and faith like David did, like Abraham did and we read in chapter 4, we are the sons of God, His Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we belong to Him now, that everything's changed, everything's different. And when you come to Christ, everything changes. You're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. You have a new life, a new way of living, a new power to live that way. And so, hey guys, let's do this. Let's embrace our role as steadfast servants by the mercies of God because of what God has done for us. We now get the opportunity to serve Him, to live for Him, to live pleasing to Him, to live set apart to Him, living sacrifices. We get to let go of the control of our own life and crawl up on the altar and say, not once, it begins with once, but it is an ongoing process of saying, <coughs> excuse me, I am no longer my own. I'm yours. Here I am on the altar. You're the boss. You're God, and I'm not. You're the king. You're the ruler. I'm yours, Lord. Everything I am, everything I've got, everything I'm not, I'm yours. Everything that you would have me to be, I belong to you. So now I live to please you, to be acceptable, acceptable to you as your servant. Okay, fellow servants. What does that look like day by day? Well, that's where we pick up today. Last week we did one verse. Today we're going to do one verse. Trust me, next week we're going to do three. So we'll, give, we'll take bigger bites of this as we go through. But today I want us to take a moment. And I hate to do this, but I'm going to need a cup of water up here, guys. My throat is so dry, and I do not want to cough into this microphone. But I'm going to cough into this microphone. <coughs> Uh, we want to follow it with Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Many of you have memorized this. I want us to review it. Don't forget it. It's important stuff. He says, just to catch us up, I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies the living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So how do you do that? What does that mean? What does that look like? What do we do? That's the exhortation to do. The exhortation to be, what do we do? We be not conformed to this world, but we are transformed. Thank you, my dear brother. <laughs> he even loosened the top so I wouldn't spill it when I got up here. That is, that is a servant's heart, brother, right there, I'm telling you. Thank you. Now, I'm going to knock this off somewhere during the course of this sermon. It's just to keep you on the edge of your seats, okay? All right. But I want us to look at this a phrase at a time. Don't be conformed to the world. Speaking of things that we love, do y'all love grammar? <laughs> I love it. About three people are like, yeah. 
but only about three. <laughs> but grammar matters. And when you're reading the scripture, grammar is important. I want us to look closely about this. Go ahead in your outline, uh, if you're taking notes in the worship guide. Point one says, don't allow yourself to drift with a crowd. And I want to explain why I use the words drift with a crowd. Verbs in Greek have a mood. The mood tells you the kind of statement it is, whether it's indicative, just a statement of fact, or subjunctive or optative, which we won't get into today, or an imperative, which is a command. You're familiar with the word imperative and command, imperative. And you're familiar with a positive and a negative. A positive command, eat your beans. Sorry, one I was raised with. A negative, don't waste your food. And I don't know why my mind goes to food, but we'll deal with that for a while, okay? So a positive and a negative command. What is do not be conformed to the world? This command is an imperative, but it is a negative, negative imperative. Do not command. In Greek, you also have voice, the voice of a verb. The voice is either active, middle, or passive. If it's active voice, it's used when the subject of the sentence is the agent of the action. You do this. You don't do this. They do this. Southern y'all do this. All right? So that, that's very active. You've got middle, which denotes the subject can be both the agent of action and somehow engaged in the action or concerned with the action. But then you come to the passive voice. What, we know what passive means. Passive means something's acting on me. Something is acting on the subject. The subject of the verb is what is being acted on. So why does that matter with this do not be conformed? Because this is an passive negative imperative. Sounds impressive, right? Why does the grammar matter? The grammar matters because what he's saying is do not let this happen to you. By doing something about it. The point of the grammar in this text is. The world is going to be continually applying pressure on you. To conform to it. To them. To the mind of this age. You're going to be continually bombarded by the environment that you live in. To conform. To go along. To be shaped by the things that you're exposed to in the world. And you have to take steps to prevent it from happening. It, it, the, the passive voice is, is basically something like, uh, don't let your room get dusty. Your room is going to get dusty unless you do something about it. Don't let your car run out of gas. How do you not let your car run out of gas? You put gas in your car. Okay. Does that make sense? Here's the, here's the emphasis. The world is continually seeking to conform us to its image. And it has been since you were born. You were of the world before you got saved. You remember that, right? You were uh, like nature, children of wrath as the rest are. You were under the authority, the power, the thinking, the training of the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world. When you got saved, you began to realize some of the things you thought were true aren't. And some of the things you thought weren't true are. Because God began to teach you truth from his word. And you had to 
leave some things that you used to do, the things that you used to love and engage in, the ways that you used to process information, all of a sudden you leave that when you come to Christ because there's a, a new way to process information, a new truth to hold to, new truth to build a life upon. And it takes intentionality. The world, the culture, the world by there it also means age, the culture of the day will be a continual pressure that you have to stand against. And we have so many examples. Did you read the newspaper this week? What did the South Carolina State Supreme Court do? They overturned the six-week abortion ban. And most of the people that I've talked to about this at all have said, well, you know, makes sense. Folks, it doesn't make sense. Let me be clear, all right? Abortion is a sin before God. It is the taking of an innocent life. That's not to say that there are not a lot of issues that impact all that's going on with this, but it should never have been made legal in the first place. And as believers, we need to be on the front lines of being engaged in this whole process. But because it's exposed to us and exposed to us and we hear, oh, well, you know, what about choice? What about this? What about that? What about in case? And we look at it and we just get, we, we just kind of get overwhelmed with the mindset of the world. And if you're not careful, if you don't battle it, you'll adopt it. What about the sin of homosexuality? And the sin of adultery, the sin of fornication, sex outside of the bonds of marriage. What about the current age where we even have this transgenderism? You can reassign yourself just by a choice that you make that is almost insane from a psychological perspective. As you look at it, I'm not saying that there's not gender dysmorphia, and I'm not saying that there's not issues related to that, but I'm saying the Bible is very clear about what God created and what is right and what is good and what is moral, and yet we live in an age where there's such pressure and such social pressure for us to simply conform or to be silent, to not stand for truth. Do you understand what I mean about the constant pressure that the world puts on you? Where do you get it? Do you watch TV? Do you listen to the radio? I don't know. I don't know people that listen to the radio. Some of you, I'm sure, do. Uh, do you read? Yeah, you, you, uh, um, what do you call it when you just cruise the Internet? Thank you. Do you surf? I know what it is. I just forgot the word, okay? Do you surf? Do, do you social media? What, what, what are you getting there? Are you getting uplifting truth based on God's word? Are you getting a continual kind of drip, drip, drip pressure that, that, that continually presses you into its mold? There is continual pressure to be liked, to be accepted, to be a appreciated and so that's why point one says do not be conformed to the world the command i would restate and simply say don't allow yourself to drift along with the crowd it's important that you understand that 
You have to do something to keep what would naturally happen from occurring. It's when we're heading in a direction, we get saved, we turn around, we become completely you. Now we're going upstream. Steadfast servants go against the grain. That's what being holy, separated to God. Holy. Remember verse 1? Holy and acceptable. Holy, separated to God. Pleasing to God, doing that which pleases Him. And may I tell you that pleasing God does not please the world. Pleasing God does not please the world. Look with me a passage of Scripture. I'll give you a minute to find it in your Bibles. It is 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. So go ahead and go ahead and look. This is, a, I think, a very important passage that we need to be familiar with if we are not. First Peter chapter 4, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Christ was persecuted. You get this right. Christ was persecuted. He suffered. He went upstream, 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 all right? He flew in the face of what was popular, what was acceptable among the religious and among the rebellious. And he suffered. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. I like that. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Arm yourselves. Listen, it's going to be a battle. When you live pleasing to God. It's going to be a struggle. You're going to need to arm yourselves. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, don't let that phrase confuse you. He's not saying that now that you've suffered in the flesh, now that you've come to Christ, you never sin again. What he's saying is your way is different. You're now on the right road. You've ceased from serving sin. You have ceased from sin being your default and being your habit. Now you're headed in a new direction. You've ceased from that. So as to live for the so verse two, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions. That's doing what I want to do. That's pleasing myself. But how do we live? For the will of God. The time that is past suffices. Basically, Peter's saying, Enough. You've been there, you got saved out of there. Enough. The time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. What do they want to do? Well, they want to live in whatever way they think feels good. Live in sensuality. Live for passions. Drunkenness. Let's go have a party. Orgies. Drinking parties. Lawless idolatry. With respect to this. Now, how do they respond when you say, I don't live that way anymore? Or I've never lived that way. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. With response to this, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, what do they do? They'll malign you. They'll criticize you. They'll call you names. They'll pick on you. They'll give you a hard time. They will persecute you. They will mock you. They will gossip about you. But listen, the opposition that we face is temporary. The reward is eternal. Get that. The opposition is temporary. The reward is eternal. Listen, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Here's the whole point, guys. We live now a new way. Not conformed to the world, called out of the world, saved, set apart, brought out of, and devoted to steadfast servants of God. It is not enough to stand against something, though. We're called to stand for something. A steadfast service. We stand for God, for His truth, for the gospel, pleasing Him in all respects. But I will tell you this, and, and I'm just going to, this is kind of a, a parenthesis, so bear with me for a minute. I hear a lot 
God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be happy. True or false, by the way? Don't answer out loud. I'd rather you not. God wants me to be happy. Is that right? Well, it depends on what you mean, doesn't it? God wants me to be happy so I don't have to stay with the wife of my youth because I'm not happy there anymore. True or false? False. What a lie of the devil. God wants me to be happy so I can watch this entertainment that pleases my flesh and that engages my emotions, and yet it does not glorify God or do anything. True, true or false? Do you understand that the idea that God just wants me to be happy is not a biblical idea? Suzanne and I were counseling a couple several years ago, and Suzanne looked at the wife because she just said, God wants me to be happy. And Suzanne said, God doesn't, God doesn't exist to make you happy. God wants you to be holy. Now, she never got over that, that the, the, the spouse in that particular thing. She struggled with that ongoing. She, God, isn't God supposed to want me to be happy? What's all these blessed verses? Blessed be the man. We just read one this morning. Blessed be the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way with sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Here's the point. Where is contentment? Peace, joy, happiness, holiness, being right with God found, is found when we surrender our will and say, I no longer live for me. It's not about pleasing my sensual desires or the passions of my flesh. I live to please God. I am His servant, steadfast. And if that means I will stand on truth, though all the world run across me, I will stand. Isn't that that amazing? And you'll find contentment there. And you'll find joy there. And you'll find peace there. And you will be what the Bible calls blessed. Blessed is the one who meditates upon the law of the Lord day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But the wicked are not so. And so how do we not be conform to the world well here's your imperative here's your positive imperative be transformed metamorphosis are you familiar with the word metamorphosis in latin the word is reforma mine be reformed how about that all right metamorph change to be transformed by the renewing of your mind it's important to understand that god changes our beliefs as he changes our behavior It's important that we recognize that renewal of the mind is taking all these false things that we have learned, that we've been taught, and that the world continually impresses upon us and replacing it with the eternal truth of God's Word. Now, some of you are going to say, wait a minute. Be conformed by the renewing. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove and demonstrate what is that good, perfect, acceptable will of God. Where is the... Where's the scriptures in that verse? It's throughout. Not only throughout that verse, but throughout the Bible. It's the word of God that is the mind of God, the writing of God, the revelation of God that reveals God to us, reveals ourselves to us, reveals truth to us. And we need to fill our minds with truth. Would you agree with that? We need to fill our minds with truth, the truth of scripture. Your mind matters. What you think matters. What you put in your mind 
matters. The laws of God, the commands of God, the righteous and moral wise. I want in, in morals of God in Scripture. Now, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. We can all agree with that, right? Satan is a liar and the father of God's lies. And can I tell you, he's good at it. He's good at it. He will present half-truths and whole lies in appealing ways that's going to make you feel like some kind of nut for not agreeing with everybody else. And that's why we have to know what truth is. We don't want to seem to be closed-minded. We don't want to be the like our the older generation that we used to argue about. And we don't even know how to face some of these cultural conundrums, conundrums, confusing things, and puzzles that the world gives to us. Listen, what about these situations that are going on right now? They may be one of yours. It's confusing. I have a friend who is gay. He says he has no choice about the matter. He was born that way. It's just how he is. And I like him. He's my friend. How am I supposed to relate to him when I know that the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin? A, a family in a former church who were believers, been, been, matter of fact, he was a deacon in the church. They'd been a part of the church for a long time. They knew that abortion was a sin, that abortion is murder, that abortion puts the blood of the innocent on the hands of those who, who perform it and those who agree to it until their 15-year-old daughter got pregnant out of wedlock. And they went into full panic mode. And one night, one weekend, they drove to a, he drove his daughter to another state took her to abortion mill and killed her baby. What about my friends who are inviting me to go out with them? I mean, they're good folks. They're, I've known these guys since high school. And I know this, that <clears throat> we'll start with coffee, but we won't end with coffee. As a matter of fact, before the evening's over, they'll be drinking pretty heavy. As a matter of fact, I'm fairly certain that one of the main reasons they want me to go with them is because I won't drink as much, and I'll be the one that's driving them home. I'll be the designated drivers. So here's the question. Should I go? Should I go and make sure they're safe? Should I go and kind of keep an eye on them? Or by going, am I approving behavior that Scripture clearly condemns. So anybody that says living to glorify Christ day in and day out in a world that we live in today is easy and a piece of cake doesn't know what they're talking about. You've got to arm yourself with the truth of God's Word so that as these situations arise, by the way, I have... I'd love to talk to you about any one of these situations. The point of these illustrations right now is to let you know that the Bible speaks to cultural issues. The Bible addresses every decision of life. It brings clarity to how we're to live and how we're to respond in an age where you go from one church to the next and there's no telling what you might hear from the pulpit or what you might hear from the pew. That's why... 
we embrace and study and fill our minds with the unchanging truth of God's Word. Amen? What is our value here? We proclaim truth. God's Word is revealed in His Son, the living Word, as revealed and preserved in the written Bible, the Word of God that He has preserved for us. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 says, The Lord gives wisdom from His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. As a matter of fact, back to someone. I love this, by the way. My dad made us, me, my brother and I, memorize this when we were kids. <laughs> and so I'm quoting it from the King James Version, at least the portions that I'm quoting, I'm quoting from the King James Version. Blessed is the man, the one, who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way with sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But, but what? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Here's the diagnostic question. And if I can make you mad, I'm going to I'm going to do my best. How much are you in God's word? I'll almost guarantee you it's not enough. How much are you in God's word? If prayer is breathing, Knowing the Word of God and meditating upon it, letting it filling our mind and our hearts, memorizing it, thinking about it. That's how we eat. It's bread. It's the food that we consume that gives us spiritual health, that reveals truth, that will confront you, buddy. It will confront you. A lot of times we don't go to the Bible because we know what it says. And we don't want to hear it. A lot of times... We don't really know what it says, and we don't really want to know what it says because we're light readers. You guys know what light readers are? We skim. We skim. We skim. Now, and I've had pastors tell me, hey, it's better to skim the Scriptures than to keep them closed. And I'm going to tell you, maybe, maybe not. Uh, probably not. Open the Bible and read it. Put it. Read it on your phone. Read it on your computer. You can do what my wife does. She prints out verses of Scripture and sticks them on every mirror in the house. I can't, I can't go in a bathroom without reading Scripture in my house. Okay? Fill your mind with the Word of God. Do you remember what the writer of Hebrews says? Let's get a little personal here. Do you remember what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 5? He says, I'm talking to you about Jesus, the Savior. I've told you who he is in chapter 1. I've told you what he came to do in chapter 2. In chapter 3, I told you that he's our, he's our, our rest. That, that, uh, and in chapter 4, he's our rest. In chapter 5, I want to tell you that he's of the tribe. He's a high priest. He's our high priest. He's of the tribe of Melchizedek. That gets you excited? And I would imagine that he's talking to people and they had these blank expressions like, Mel who? Melchizedek. And when you get down to verse 18, the writer says, man, there is so much that you can know. So much I'd love for us to engage in. But you're still on milk. You haven't got to meat yet. 
You're still skimming along the top. You've got John 3.16 memorized. You've got 2 Timothy 3.16 memorized. You've got this verse memorized. You've got that verse memorized. And you know your little favorite verses for your emergency situations where you whip out your scripture and you get nervous so you read, be not anxious for nothing. You start getting mad and you read a little verse that says the wrath of man does not accomplish the will of God. You've got this going on. And so you whip out this answer verse and you use the Bible like some sort of toolbox or arsenal for life. And I'm not saying that there's not a purpose in that but what i'm saying is we've been playing with scripture so long that we don't know what the scripture says we don't know what it says in context we don't know what it says with any level of depth and it is god's word to you somebody should be able to come to you and say what do i do about my friend that i love who is struggling with this problem in pornography and they don't know what to do and i don't know how to come alongside of them you ought to know Somebody ought to be able to come to you and say, listen, I'm living the Christian life the best I can, but I've got a situation that is seemingly out of my control, and I feel like giving up. And you ought to be God's messenger to open the Scriptures and to talk to them. You ought to be competent to counsel because you know where it is. You know what the Scriptures say. You at least have some familiarity, and you're willing to study to show yourself approved. A workman under God, rightly dividing, rightly handling the word of truth so that you don't have to be ashamed. Am I preaching yet? We play when we should work. We play when we should work. Study to show yourselves approved under God. Be renewed in the spirit of mind meditate upon the word of God you want to start start with Psalm 19 I'm waiting to see if you're writing it down and if, if that's not enough go to Psalm 119 it'll get, take more time and you'll see how we're to relate to the word of God so we fill our mind with truth that's how we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, so that we may what? Prove. So that we may test, so that we may try, so that we may demonstrate what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Good, acceptable, perfect, teleos. These words sound like work, don't they? What do servants do? You can answer. Servants serve. Servants don't wait to be served. There are whole parables in the New Testament, particularly Gospel Luke, about that. Those people who say that the Christian life is just hanging out is wrong. The Christian life is service. So how do we serve? We serve carefully and we serve boldly. Who are you here to please? <laughs> yeah, quick, this is a test. Come on, guys. You're with me. Let's do this. Let's embrace our role as steadfast servants of God. Who are we here to please? Why do you work where you work? Why do you live where you live? Why is what's on your calendar what's on your calendar? Why are you raising your children in the place and sending them to the school that you're sending them to? Why are you doing this and why are you doing why are you watching what you're watching, reading what you're reading, singing what you're singing? Who do we live to please? God. 
We live to please God. So we've got to make every decision carefully, circumspectly. Paul says, walk circumspectly. He, what he's saying is, be careful what's going on around you. Circumspect. Look around. Open your eyes. The world is continually trying to conform you and push you off center and push you off track. So fill your mind with truth. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind so that you may test and prove. Take steps. Work. Demonstrate what is just right for you, what God has for you. You make decisions based upon truth, not emotion. And that's a whole other sermon that we're not going to get to today. Let's do this. Aren't you ready to quit playing? Aren't you ready to quit kind of halfway doing this? Aren't you ready to say, look, we do this in other areas of our life. And we need to resolve as a people, as a church, as individuals to trust God. And to seek to please him in all that we do. One of those decisions, by the way, is where God would have you serve. What church God would have you be a part of. What local congregation God would have you be a part of. In our congregation, several years ago, we said we want to be a covenant membership church. We believe God would have us covenant together. And so we have prepared a couple of church covenants. We've come back and it's edited a little bit to make it narrow and easier. But I want us to refresh our mind. What it is that we've covenanted. Co- wow. What we have covenanted to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to do that because of a pretty exciting reason. I want to invite Brian and Crystal. Will you guys come up here with me this morning? And Michaela, will you come join me as well? Do you guys know these guys? Wow, that wasn't good. I need to, I need another glass of water, I think. <laughs> hey, come on up and stand beside me face the congregation. This is Brian and Crystal Sachs. How long have you guys been in South Carolina? Uh, eight months. Eight months. Welcome. We're excited that you're here. <laughs> Better here than upstate New York. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go. We're glad that you're here. You guys know that they have been a, a coming and attending and participating in the life of the congregation. Two beautiful girls and... Uh, uh, they went through our Membership Matters class recently, and they've come, and they want to enter into covenant as members with the membership of West End Baptist Church. And this is Michaela Weed. Have, have you all met Michaela? Okay, good. Uh, Michaela, bless her heart, was saying, I really would like to be a member. When is your next Membership Matters class? And we just postponed it about nine months. <laughs> but... but <laughs> but she she uh, she went through the membership matters class, and you believe God's leading you to be a covenant member yes. of the congregation as well. And so she's coming to join us by covenant and membership together. What we do in this class is we explain what a member of a church is. We tell about this local congregation and its history, and then we communicate expectations. As a member of this church, there's some things that we agree to. Do you have your copy of the covenant? Can somebody bring us a couple of copies of the covenant up here, please? Th- thank you. You guys, I want you guys to get one, too. I want us to read these together. All right, be generous. Get up. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. All right. And so what I would like for us to do together as existing members and as those entering into covenant, new members, to read the covenant together. Can we do that? Read aloud. I want to hear your voices. 
right? Having, having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God and this assembly most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We affirm and embrace the mission and values that God has given West End Baptist Church. We will work and pray for the unity of the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace and to practice brotherly love in our relationships. We will pursue God's continual work of sanctification in our lives. We will use our gifts and resources for the glory of God and the common good of the church. We will engage in good works and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ at home and around the world. We moreover engage that if we remove from this place, we will, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. Do you affirm this covenant, Michaela? Yes. Okay. Brian? Crystal, do y'all affirm this covenant as well? <laughs> All right, good, good. Congregation, do you affirm them and welcome into this relationship? Please say yes. Amen. We'll praise the Lord. You will want to greet them and welcome. As a matter of fact, they're already serving. I'm just going to tell you right now. They're already part of life of the church. But you will want to greet them and welcome welcome them in, into this. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And then Melody is going to lead us in our closing song. Father, it is so good to see you move and work in the hearts and lives of people. I thank you for Michaela. I thank you for Brian and Crystal. I thank you for the others that have come and are coming to be a part of your work here. I pray that we will embrace our role as steadfast servants of God because you are at work in the world and we want to be pleasing to you in all we do. We love you and thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.